Hi there, everyone. This is Stephen Drew from the Architecture Social. This is the third take, the third time that I am trying to record this. It's just one of them weeks, Tony. I think, you know, we've had everything. We've got the second wave. I, you may, you talked for two, three minutes. We had an amazing introduction. It wasn't recorded. And the second one, I just felt like, you know what? So I've got my glass of wine here. And look, the point is, with all this stuff going on in the world, it's good to have good company. And We've met through the Architecture Social, but Tony, Robert, Cochran, how are you? Are you okay? I'm doing well, Stephen, and I'm glad to be here with you. And I absolutely love that you've developed this platform for people to come together and to have a discussion, to find jobs. Um, I really enjoy the book club that we're, we have. And so, oh, yes, your book, the book club you had up, Tony, which is massive props to you. I really appreciate that. It's, it's really good fun. Thank you. I think it's a wonderful platform because it allows people to have discussions that they might not have on LinkedIn, which is a little bit more stuffy. Or and also, it's not as crazy as Facebook, so it not it finds a nice medium. Uh, well, I really love that. I really appreciate the shout out. But really, the way I see the architecture social, and I said this one or two times today because I had a really nice podcast um, with. Um, one or two people and, and they're going to come out as well. But the architecture social really is about what you want to do. And, that, and that's the way I see it. And, and I also really love the fact that when we have the platform there, you've set up the book club, which is awesome, which is all about because there's only so much you can do on the stage. It, you know, it's kind of like, I need the band on there for it to show. And I love the way you're saying crazy Facebook. Cause I absolutely think that Facebook is evil, I agree. evil, evil, I agree. evil company. And, um, yeah, sorry, Mark Zuckerberg, if you are listening, uh, you are going to burn in hell. Uh, oh, 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 you can't say that. Uh, it's an opinion piece. Uh, they sell data. Okay. That's not what we're, that's not what we're about. Um, I, but I joke around a bit. I do think though that Facebook is, it can be a little bit of distraction with all the advertising, right? Is that the, le- is that the less, um, uh, controversial way of saying it? Well, I would say in terms of Facebook, the problems are multifaceted. I think with Facebook, you have the data mining, you have the tracking of people's information, and then you have the selling of that information. The person is no longer a consumer. They're a user. And there's only two places, um, two fields where people are called users and not consumers. And that's the drug industry and social media. And so if you are not paying for the product, then you are the product. And I personally, that's why I got off of Facebook. Um, because I feel like I do not want to be monetized for Mark Zuckerberg's next yacht. So it makes sense. Wow. It sounds like we're on a Facebook tirade. Sorry. Uh, Facebook, Arctic for social group. If you hear Facebook, Maybe stop monitoring people so much and listening on my phone when my phone's in my pocket. But yes, I watched the Social Network podcast and I believe that the quote you said there was from, sorry, Social Network podcast on Netflix is that amazing uh, document. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds uh, contradictory because the Architecture Social is is a community platform 
I mean, there is access to some limited data that I can see on the back end, which is in terms of name, user email, and last time you logged on. But you're right. I, I'm lucky enough that hopefully I have enough of a moral compass not to put all that personal details on eBay. Plus, I do not want to get in trouble with the GDPR in the UK, which would absolutely have me in in a in a in a headlock if I ever did such a thing. One of, the, one of the things I like about architectural social is it reminds me of the earlier days of the internet. And I think that's one of the interesting things. When it wasn't all about making money, it wasn't all about being a celebrity, it wasn't all about blah 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 and all this nonsense or just making controversy for controversy's sake. It actually has a purpose and it has a reason to go um, to continue going in terms of like discussion people finding jobs there are real concrete stuff happening yeah what was quite interesting about that is because normally there's always a commercial agenda and there well, we talked about it really in the book club which is another reason why i like the book club because we do talk about the books at the front and then i kind of uh, sometimes i'm like the naughty kid in the class and we have these nice organic conversations but normally the discourse of the book club i like to talk about it in less of a theoretical sense or well but the point is that when you read in these books there's certain lessons in life that you learn which could be applied to the day-to-day process or, or sometimes when you're talking about a topic you will reflect currently on maybe who you you are what you're about and certain things can apply to real life and and i find that um sometimes when we've talked about these things i will often reflect on what the architectural social is and the agenda but where i'm lucky in being uh, completely up front is because of what i do in terms of recruitment and because it's about connectivity then the commercial agenda of it is that i speak to people and from those connections opportunities come up for come up to me in my day-to-day job but the, the funny thing is is that that all relies on me being upfront and honest and and ideally doing a good job so that that's kind of the only commercial interest in it and because i worked in architecture i'm quite happy to to run it and, and to me i enjoy it but the, what i'm liking now the next chapter which is wh- where the book club in particular has been great is because there's only so much i can do and what i've enjoyed is imparting maybe my advice on job seekers in particular how to deal with this current climate but the actual platform itself is open to everyone and all to contribute their own ideas so the book club came from your thought process is what you wanted to do and i'm happy to support that and it's probably worth saying um to anyone listening that if they have any ideas we're happy to do it as well but to bring it to yourself because i really appreciate the the admiration uh, the, the nice words uh, that you've said in terms of the social it means a lot but this is about you this is a, this is this is about you right so i'm gonna recalibrate and flip the spotlight around there's probably something that's drawn you to make a book club on the architecture social or for instance you yourself you're a writer okay that's what you do you're uh, you're very good at it you you've shared some of the work that you've done and your website within the architecture social but it will maybe what it'd be good for in terms of context is to explain what drew you to journalism and maybe how that ties a little bit to architecture and how how you got involved in the architecture social from that background so i i always say that i come to architecture unknowingly. Um, And one of the things is I was reviewing that I said that, and actually it's not entirely accurate. So when I was a child growing up, I 
was, I grew up in a very small town, very isolated um, in Southern Oregon uh, on the border with California. And most people couldn't find it on a map if you're not from, even in America. Um, And my grandfather and grandmother raised me and we were quite poor. And my grandfather wanted to be a architect when he grew up. When he, that was his dream, but he ended up working in construction as a hod carrier, which was the which is the person who basically mixes the concrete um, or helps mix the concrete and then gives it to the masons. So when I was very very young, um, say six to seven, um, nine. I would draw out um, sort of four floor plans for houses, and then I would um, make a, a visualization of what the house would look like based on, and I kept doing that for some time. Um, and sort of my creativity um, kind of waned um, as I got a little bit older, and I finished high school uh, two years early. So I went, I ended up at 16 um, not knowing what I was going to do. Mm. My grandfather said, you either go to work or you go to to college. They're a very strict family. Um, And so I ended up going to college um, and studying um, English um, and philosophy at a very small school called Rogue college and I grew up in the rogue valley so I feel like a rogue and I'm actually going to be launching a website called the rogue cat oh I um, like that name that's pretty PRC. cool isn't it <laughs> so I, I over the years so then in, in, in college and in university I began to look at the work of Michel Foucault and he writes about the history of madness the history of the birth of the clinic and the history of the panopticon Slowly, it begins to dawn on me that, oh, my God, I'm studying buildings like all of these are buildings. You know, how how on earth could I avoid architecture? Um, And everything was about space. Everything was about place. And as a kid, I was always fascinated about how people lived their lives inside different spaces because we lived in a really small place um it was a little tiny like shack and so i was always like looking at when we went into town like looking at people's houses and thinking you know what kind of life do they have in there and very interested in like the the way in which other people were living their lives Hmm. and i think this is what's drawn me over the years slowly to architecture now it wasn't until 2012 when i moved to london um, that I began to become associated with the Architectural Association. Right. Um, and I, wanted, I was not in part of the School of Architecture. I was exclusively working with Mark Cousins, who um, sadly passed away in September. Um, and he really brought home the, the fact that, you know, what I was doing is basically um, studying space and studying time. And that is tied in with psychology, with psychoanalysis, which was something else I was studying at the time with CIFAR, the Center for Freudian Advanced Research um, at UCL. And so I sort of came to architecture through this weird journey. And a lot of my time in my early 20s, I was working, well, I began working right out of 
college as a union organizer. So I gave me an opportunity to travel all over the United States. Mm. Um, and I stayed, I mean, I was always staying in hotels and exploring different cities, exploring different things. This was like me finally going into the middle class or whatever. And I think that opened up a lot of doors and possibilities. Um, and then I was communications director at Occupy Wall Street, um, where I was working out of a building in Harlem in Sugar Hill that didn't have heat or hot water because the owners didn't, they wanted to push out the rent controlled tenants. So they basically would destroy the boiler. This was not uncommon in New York city. Um, especially from 1970 onward in the Bronx, some of the owners would actually burn down their own buildings because they would make more money off of the insurance. Um, and so this really drew me to the idea of looking at, um, space buildings and assemblages, uh, assemblages of buildings, um, and communities, uh, from a perspective of um, racial inclusion and diversity as well, because this building was predominantly housing um, black single women. Um, and so I think what's interesting about architecture is it encompasses everything. We all live somewhere, right? It encompasses everything that we do. Mm. And one thing I like about the book club is that we're reading Bachelard's um, The Poetics of Space, and he takes us to those places where we can remember the childhood home. We can remember the way in which the wind blew against the roof when we were a kid. And these are important things, and I think it's important for architects. If you're listening to this, oh, my God, what does this have to do with my job? Well, it has a lot to do with your job because – the 21st century is all about hyper um, creativity and you need to be able to, if you're working as an architect and you really want to move up and you really want to make an impact or make a mark, I think it's important for architects to have a very broad perspective so that they can have an understanding of the ways in which their buildings, their creations are not merely just spaces for people to function, have a particular function in, but they're actual em embodiments of who we are and who we want to be as a society. It's interesting. It's interesting. Oh, I'm getting a little, oh, I'm getting a little thing come back from your speakers, Tony. I can hear my voice. Ah. Apologies. Don't worry about it. We're better. You fixed it already. See, you are a technical wizard. You can do, you can completely do it. I loved absolutely your point when you were talking about the architectural community. And what's quite interesting is that I come from architecture and technically while I'm still within the architectural community, I mean, what I do is networking. What I do is architectural recruitment. And so it is really interesting what you say about uh, I do find, like you say, the architectural community very, very open, very, very accommodating because, and there's so many people that have done architecture that I know who've then gone on to be um, pr 
programmers, people that have designed Lloyds Bank websites, people have worked on Apple's website. I know people that have run bars, people like yourself, like as, as you're saying with your year tutor who are teaching university, you have people that have gone from architecture into uh, marketing communications, which isn't quite what you do, but it's that cause thing, isn't it? Because some of those people can study architecture and find out they have a love for journalism. They have a love for discovery. And um, it's a it's a really good um, community in that way forward. And I've always felt quite grateful because it's actually quite open. Let's talk a little bit about, you touched briefly upon this lovely kind of architect professor at the AA. I believe it was, his name was Mark. Is that right? Yeah, Mark Cousins. So Mark Cousins has been associated with the Architectural Association for about 30 years. And actually... Um, he also taught my partner, um, who at the time was at the, it was a polytechnic in East London and now it's the university of East London. Um, and he was teaching there and also at the AA and then he exclusively moved to the architectural association and he had a good friendship with, um, Zara Hadid and he was really well, um, uh, received in the architectural community. Now, what's interesting about Mark is that he doesn't have an architectural background. He's comes out of, like I do, philosophy. Um, and so whilst he, he didn't have an architectural background, um, he had a very good understanding of aesthetics and, um, fine art. And he said that, the Architectural Association was a space where he could play and create and do things that he couldn't do anywhere anywhere else mm-hmm. in any other department. And this is a man who could have got a job, you know, he, he lectured part-time at Columbia. He could have got a job at Oxford or Cambridge. I think he was actually, he did his PhD at Oxford, if I'm correct. So <clears throat> Mark was definitely a titan in the field of architecture. Um, and the AA is, I think, in the process of putting up a a proper obituary, but they did put an announcement with one of his um, essays where he talks about what is a building and how no architect he's ever met could define what a building is. And so he would have these lectures that were open to the public every Friday and he had this very dark humor in order to shock people, I think, and also to get people thinking about certain things um, in the essay that he that the AA put up on his um, on the announcement of his passing. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, my condolences go out to Parveen Adams, his partner and everyone at the AA as well, that. um he says, you know, I was considering someone for a sociology degree and uh, they said, you know, I was I've left cooking and I've left culinary arts because it's too theoretical. And he said, oh, my God, how is this person going to find Karl Marx's Das Kapital if they think that, you know, chopping a leg of lamb is too theoretical? But he said, actually, this person was right, because in the 70s and 80s, cooking became this like fetishized theoretical thing where everything was about the recipe and da, 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 da. And it moved away from the actual food and he uses that example with architecture. And you see this movement um, in architecture where people are talking about mathematical modeling. They're talking about um, big data um, and then eventually, um, you know, the ultimate kind of 
artificial intelligence, self-directed AI, doing the designing and urban architecture, um, becoming hegemonized by um, machine learning. And I think this is something that, you know, a lot of architects are grappling with. You know, we're kind of in an interregion period where the old system is dying and the new system is giving birth to something that we don't yet know. Mm. And I think a lot of architects, um, people who are coming out, either the part ones or part twos, um, they're looking for work or even if they're more experienced and people are looking for work. You know, a lot of times I'm saying, look to China, because this is the 21st century, the Chinese, the Chinese century, and actually posted a job for um, a company that is in Shenzhen, um, which is China's Silicon Valley. And, you know, I think one of the things that I, as being sort of this international person, because I lived in Warsaw for three years, mainly because I wanted to experience the architecture. I mean, they've gone through communism, Soviet, uh, Stalinism, and then Soviet communism. Uh, they had Nazism that destroyed mm. the city completely. And then they had the post uh, fall of the Soviet Union and all this crazy building. One of the things that I want people to understand in architecture is that we are again in these like turning points. Everything is on its head. And so the point is, is that I think a lot of the desire for architects to remain in the old cities like London or New York um, may not actually be realistic in terms of meeting the demand, you know, like consider Edinburgh, you know, consider Manchester, consider, consider, consider Inverness, consider, you know, if you, if you want to say, you know, consider Belfast, consider, consider Shenzhen, consider, you know, mm. all of your different options and don't feel like you, you need to limit yourself, especially if you're young and you don't have a family and you're not settled yet. This is a time to explore. And that's one thing that I did when I was in my early twenties, that's given me a lot of, um, courage and confidence that I didn't have when I was younger, uh, is that I just explored. I mean, I lived on communes in Northern California that were developed out of uh, old, you know, gold mining towns that hippies took over in the 60s. And so I, I really feel that people need to explore totally different spaces, totally different aspects and open their horizons. Um, and that's one thing that Mark taught me. Um, one thing that Mark taught me, I think the most important thing that Mark taught me is that an interdisciplinary approach, although he would hate that word, um, is is entirely appropriate and necessary right now, especially if you're studying architecture or you're going to go into the field of um, practicing as an architect or practicing doing whatever, you know, whatever you're doing, like you have to just sort of think just think outside of uh, what social expectations might be placed upon you. Um, obviously, I don't consider myself a model because for society, <laughs> I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily somebody you should model yourself on because I, I did have a lot of craziness. You know, I, I had a lot of periods where I was just wandering. You know, I'm just sort of a, a wanderer, and I love learning. Um, and 
I've been very, um, very fortunate to, to be able to wander at the same time that kind of wandering is also a bit of a struggle when you're, you know, living on communes and or spending time in Japanese Buddhist monasteries for um, a month doing a death meditation over your 23rd birthday. I think this is kind of the type, you know, the stuff that I, I, I love to, I loved to do. And I, you know, now that I'm getting older, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm 33. I'm not, you know, exactly like ancient. Um, That's my I'll, age. So hopefully, I hope <laughs> so hopefully, you know, I keep a bit of that spirit. But one thing I think I told Emily Foster, who you did the last podcast with, she mm-hmm. was talking about, you know, I don't know what I want to do when I'm finished. She's doing this great apprenticeship program yeah. with London South Bank. And I really love I love everything about this program that she's doing where she gets to work and she also gets to have the experience of um, university. And I uh, told her, I said, you know, after you finish, you know, you've got to determine where, how far you want to go. You know, is it, it do you want to, if you're going to go to space, do you want to go to the moon? Do you want to go to Mars? Do you want to go to Jupiter? You know, but make sure you take enough rocket fuel. That's what I tell people. Wow, there was so much to unpack there. I really enjoyed that. And I thought of a few questions and then you kept, you talked about something different and I had a few more questions as well. But w- what a way to summarize it. And um, in terms of the wandering aspect, though, let's pick up on that for a second because I felt quite the opposite at one point because I love studying architecture and I did it and I worked in architecture and it didn't feel quite the right thing at, the, at, the, at that, that period of time. And, and that's why I kind of changed careers slightly. And then I, w- I worked in recruitment is because I really loved architecture. I really loved the things I learned, but I kind of felt like something wasn't for me. I needed to discover something. And actually by going out of your comfort zone or, or doing things which were unconventional, I completely, I completely learned a lot in terms of what you're talking about and considering uh, Shenzhen, considering other things. Well, it's quite a timely topic to talk about right now because we're entering this new era. Like we're talking about with, and Hey, I like, so we're not going to talk about coronavirus in the stress sense because it's me and you, it's Friday afternoon. We, 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 shooting the breeze and we're kind of feeling things out but um the, there's some hidden advantages to this scenario we've learned that in in one sense i mean the architecture social uh, is a classic example of something that i could never have done if i was still working full-time in employment just that initial kickstarter to get things going and get conversations going and actually it's been uh, uh oh, using the expression on the circuit breaker but it's been something that as uh let people open up to ideas they wouldn't normally before. And it's been really challenging for the architecture industry because architecture industry, everyone works in the office. It's very common, Tony, for everyone to be in the office. It's like, what? You're not at you insane. You need to be at your desk. Where are you? Clock in nine, clock out five thirty. And what's happened is, is that we suddenly people have embraced the current scenario and had to adapt. They've had to move on. They've had to go, well, let's put trust in people to work remotely. And actually what you find in a lot of cases is that people do really well because they have the responsibilities and they work hard. And there's been some studies which I've seen which, which prove that people work extra hard. Of course, there becomes other problems with that, a feeling of loneliness or because it is very decentralizing. I mean, I'm enjoying this conversation, but part of it is because we are in a map right now where we can see each other. So at least there's some human interaction. It's not just audio. Downsides is you can get lonely. There are a few other things. Where I'm trying to go with this, though, is that 
this current situation, what you were talking about of going to different places, it kind of makes sense right now in this kind of world. You, you, I, I mean, I love London. And so while I'm here, you, I mean, Tony, you can see the room I'm in, the messy room with the bits and bobs in the background and all this stuff. But the point is, I'm still in London and this messy room could be anywhere. And I think that, that that's a new one. And so what I'm seeing in architecture, to be literal, is that uh, companies are kind of open with people working at home suddenly. As long as you go to the office now and then or you're accessible, that's the key thing. As long as you're prepared to travel, if the main office is in London, to London, or if you're prim- prepared to travel to the main office in Manchester, then you could, in theory, live somewhere somewhere beautiful, two hours out of the way and travel in. And suddenly, so it's, there's quite this interesting time right now is happening where you can, for the first time, geographically have a bit more freedom and actually hold down a strong and secure nine five job and that wouldn't have happened before that wouldn't have happened and in terms of um being literal what you were talking about are things changing is correct so like for instance right now commercial architecture so commercial is kind of um industry slang for offices and you think about it right now you have all these offices in london which have been normally people are there all the time they're not there anymore and people are cutting up offices looking how to innovate the solution i mean we work as a company was completely struggling and they they actually let a lot of people go but now it's about reinventing the formula how can you have these interesting workspaces so the way i see it in the future is that uh, let's pretend me and you have an architectural practice and let's pretend we had 100 people in london i think it will be a, a smaller office in the future where 20 people can come in at one point uh, you can book meeting rooms and then what you'll have is smaller offices around the uk where if for instance uh, you mentioned emily if she lived in manchester then she would pop into our little manchester office and so suddenly all what, what we're imagining is the the actual physical dna dna of architectural practices and how they are set up is completely evolving to coronavirus and it's quite radical i mean i wonder how the aa are doing right now and I, I mean i get that i'm an aa member i didn't mention that to you ever until I'm, yeah yeah i am i'm actually a full-on Ooh. member i get i've got a book here i'm gonna give it away and what oh i shouldn't have said that was it okay well we'll we'll exclusive Ooh, i'm oh. gonna give away the, i'm gonna give away the book next time but i love the aa and it's it's interesting how actually academia as well as architectural practice we've had to evolve with currently where we're at and yeah, adjust. There's a hybridization. I think, you know, there's a hybridization. I, I, I'm not intimately involved. I haven't been intimately involved with the AA since 2016, but I know that there's a hybridization of um, online. And um, I think there's very limited right now in-person contact, um, especially now that London has been moved into a more restrictive um period. Mm. Um, And what you said is very interesting to me because I think, you know, we don't want to obviously talk about COVID. It's kind of the elephant in the room. So, but I think at the same time, it does, it does play a role in, it just plays a huge role in what we're talking about. I mean, even though it's a Friday night, most of us won't be going out tonight because of the situation. <laughs> so we can stay inside and drink wine and have fun. Um, and I think that's a great thing because we need to obviously get a hold of this virus. And I, 
that's one of the reasons why I posted the position in Shenzhen, because the Chinese government has managed to virtually eliminate the pandemic. And um, obviously, I have criticisms about the human rights record. And just to be clear, I'm not a journalist. I'm actually just a social critic. So I, I do not have like an objective sense of everything. That's interesting. Can we expand upon that, though? Because in my head, you're a writer. Now, I've got one or two friends. So I've got a friend whose um, partner, she works for a large, um, she works for a large editorial company. And so she's effectively a journalist. Now, you talk about a social critic. um, Great. In terms of kind of laying out the role of that. Yeah. What do you think that involves? So I fully understand. So basically uh, what I do is I take um, pieces of culture, for instance, and society. For instance, you've seen maybe some of my film reviews mm. um, or some of my interviews. Um, I did an article for Vice magazine when I was in Poland, kind of analyzing the LGBTQ scene there Um and the situation that was so draconian uh, when I was living in Warsaw. Um, and I criticize, um, and criticism is, is something that people think is a negative term, but it's not. That's what I was going to say. Criticism. And that happens in architecture. Sorry to interrupt. It's yeah. because normally in architecture, a criticism is a review, a critique is a review of your project where it is. And there's a joke that the crit is going to be the death sentence because you're going to go in and you're going to get slammed. But actually, if you survive a crit, quote, quote, yes. that's the slang, a quit, a crit, then you, you've done really well. But yeah, carry, yeah, carry on. No, and I, the architectural crit that you're talking about, I, I'm aware of. And what's interesting is, is for me, the critique, um, I, I grounded in, in Kant. So uh, Immanuel Kant did this critique of pure reason. It wasn't to destroy reason. Actually, what he did is he did it so that he could save reason, so that he could love reason in a different way and show what reason could do and show what reason couldn't do. For me, a critique is a form of love. Most of the films that I review um, are critiques, and I love them. I think there's maybe one or two negative reviews that I've ever done of a film. Um, Actually, one. Um, And then in terms of the art aspect, there are about four or five out of dozens of art reviews that I've done that are quote-unquote negative. Um, but they even, they led to conversations about um, race. For instance, there was a, a white woman that was doing blackface performance in Poland, and I wrote about it, and then all of these galleries dropped her, and it led to this huge discussion around race and the way in which white people um, appropriate black skin. Um, so when I did that piece on Clemens uh, Stepanowski, she um you know, it, it obviously affected her and it, uh, you know, I didn't intend for it to affect her personally, but I intended to show the community because she was, you know, public figure exhibiting this work. And my critique of it wasn't so much a critique of her in terms, it was, a, it was trying to show my love for art in general and saying, this doesn't meet the standard of fine art as it should be. And we move 
I think, in different ways. And critiques can be very helpful. Um, for instance, the equality and inclusion working group that we have, where we're having this discussion around whether or not to call something like positive discrimination or affirmative action. And they had a really lovely discussion about that in the book club um, the last time. And I really, I really think that these kinds of rational um, and um, cordial and polite and collegial um, critiques can actually make things better. Um, and for me, a critique mm. is a form of love. If I don't critique something, if I don't write about something, that means that I don't love it. I don't, I don't love what I'm doing. So if you see me writing about something um, and y you might take something away from it, that's like, Oh, this is a, you know, this is him saying that something is bad. Um, no, for me, a critique does not consist in saying, well, this is wrong or that's wrong, but it's questioning the assumptions uh, of why things are so easy and why, and making those easy things harder. Because a lot of times mm. we get stuck in social, what I call social inertia, and nothing is moving, you know. And for me, the critic's job is to kind of like question these unthinking habits and to move us into a position where we are kind of thinking outside of the, the dead weight. And oftentimes a lot of this stuff comes out of tradition. It comes out of cultural biases. It comes out of all sorts of um, history. And I love tradition. I love history. You know, I'm not saying that's, you know, we should throw away the Western canon and, you know, all of that. But I do think that there's a space for, there needs to be a space for critique and to look at these things, not because we hate them, but because we mm. actually love them and we want them to survive. We want architecture to survive. We want art to survive. We want um, technology to survive, but we want it to survive so that it serves the people and the people who've been most, um, you know, not just, not just the, the, the gods, uh, of, of architecture or social media or digital technology, but so that it serves, uh, everyone's interests, the common interests. And I think that's what a critic's job is. It's interesting because I appreciate what you're saying and, and what I find out is accessibility. So it's been interesting for me because when you joined the platform, remember the first introductions I had, what were you asking? You were asking a particular architecture question to me. And I was like, I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> I asked you about, I remember this conversation. What I asked was it? You about this, vernacular architecture. Right. Okay. And this is really interesting. So this, this, cause, cause with vernacular, right. I remember when that popped up because I was, wasn't really sure what vernacular meant in terms of and which is really strange because and this is sometimes i've had some you know when you're in the moment with certain friends because in one sense you know i've done really well in business i've got my two i've got my degree in diploma in architecture i got two ones which is respectable grades all this stuff and you know sometimes i'm like look i'm just not but i'm not a book smart kind of guy and i've had a few friends be like you're insane because you've run businesses you've done all that stuff which is incredibly smart and so i think i always used to have a bit of a chip on my shoulder but when, then you also have your degree so you are book smart so you have right yeah, and I hear you, I hear you, but there's this chip on my shoulder sometimes I hear a saying like that, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means, because I remember sometimes when I said in architecture, there would be these 
um, these extracts I would read, my tutor would get me to read. And I would enjoy them, but I would struggle with the discourse of the language because, as you know, sometimes in architecture, the way it's written is so deep and you have to concentrate in such a way. And yes, it's rewarding. But where I'm going with this is that I found it really inaccessible. So when you asked me vernacular architecture at first, I, I didn't know how to answer it. I didn't know how to go about it. And I'm kind of trying to um, build a website, do these certain things. And it was really interesting and it caught me off guard. And so what was what's, where I'm going with this is that over time, we've got to know each other right now and the book club as well and how we've gone about it. And I found it really approachable. I found it a, a fantastic way to learn and I feel completely comfortable with it. And where I'm going with this is because in terms of where you're doing about a critic, you almost feel like initially, if I didn't know you or when you're saying, because the thing is online, you can forget tone. And what you were saying is, Steve, what do you think about vernacular architecture? But because of tone, in my head, I'm like, what do you think about vernacular architecture? And I think there's a connotation with critics that what a critic is doing is going like, so I liked your project. But can you and and that and now I know you that that is completely not the tone and that's when I was talking about a social critic because I think a social critic in terms of what you've explained and now I know you is very different than quote unquote the joke of a social justice warrior I know that what you're talking about in conversation is that you're actually interested to learn yourself right oh yeah you're not saying that you're always right and you um you're you're inviting people to talk and that's what i like about the book club is invites people in to talk about their thoughts is there's no one script it's not like you can bring an outside idea like i've done and it all kind of works and that's the point you learn off each other so that's what i've learned is what your role in terms of a social critic is um and what's quite interesting and that's what i would like someone to take away from this is that if you're for instance someone like me which has um it was i have i, I realized that maybe i had a like and you laugh at this because we talked about it in the book club a little bit or like an unconscious bias that a critic was out to critique and therefore it was really interesting when you wrote it i i think i um subconsciously got more defensive which is bizarre and that's why i like to talk about it now because it's really interesting and without being specific we had a scenario didn't we on the architecture social where um and what i think is really healthy for everyone to have healthy discussion and no one's looking for arguments no one's looking for that what we're interested we're interested in is talking about debates talking about subjects we're talking about you know and that's why i like on the platform it can be easy as sharing a picture sharing your work or if you really want to go into the deep molecular levels about what has been written in these books or what challenges you in architecture you can go there but that's that's my little swan song about what i've been thinking lately and in terms of your role here because that's why i'm really chuffed that you're a moderator or getting on board because i think it's really important there's like that academic aspect and making it really approachable it has to be accessible i think it has to be accessible and that's one of the things that i you know as as i've moved through i i come from a very working class background i mean you you couldn't uh you know, I do want to get into my personal history in, in terms of growing up as a child. But my grandfather, as I told you, was a hod carrier, um, which is below a mason um, construction industry. Mm. And, you know, his dream was to be an architect, but he never got there because 
he was so poor and, um, we, you know, then he was disabled. Um, and I don't even know how we survived because we, we didn't have income for like 10 years and we ended up living in a small shack. I was the first person to go to college. I went to a small community college, um, working class. We had everything from English literature to industrial welding to automotive mechanics. People really looked down on these kinds of colleges, especially in the mm. United States, especially in the circles that I would later run in, um, who, you know, they, oh, I went to Yale, I went to Harvard, oh, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's great. But, you know, let's, you know, can we talk about the actual discussion? And so I think a lot of times people feel... Um, especially like with the AA, I had this conversation with my partner, you know, even though Mark always made his lectures open to the public, um, even the space Bedford square, right. Is a very exclusive space. And if you're, Mm. if you're coming from say, you know, I, I, I don't want to make sort of assumptions, but let's say, you know, Essex or Hackney or somewhere that is, you know, it costs a fortune to get into central London. You know, it costs, um, you know, money to get on the tube and then you're there and it's all of these people who are dressed in fancy attire. You know, I would just go in my, sometimes I go in my pajamas because I really just wanted to make the whole thing, um, much more, um, playful. And I think Mark loved that. He, you know, he always said, oh, I love your laugh. I love that you, you know, you just sort of have this irreverence about this place. Um, And I think the kinds of thing is, you know, if you are coming from an experience that's working class and, you know, and sort of, um, you know, have a disadvantaged background or whatever, is don't feel necessarily like, the words are a challenge uh, to mm. you personally. It's like learning a new language. You know, when I learn uh, Polish or when I learn Italian, living in these different countries, um, connecting with my Italian heritage here in Sicily. I don't, you know, when I moved here in uh, February, I didn't speak very much Italian. And when I moved to Warsaw, I didn't speak any Polish. Um, A lot of this stuff, like vernacular architecture, can sound very scary, but it's like learning a new language. And, you know, for me, it's, you know, just be open to it and, and also ask questions. Um, and I had a great teacher. I want to shout out to the best teacher um, that I had uh, was Julie Jokey, and she taught at Rogue Community College. And she was the one who inspired me to become a writer. And she was the one who inspired me on this journey of um, creativity. And she also came out of a very hard and difficult struggle um, where with sexism and all kinds of things. I mean, she won lawsuits because the person who ran her department said that she had penis envy. I mean, then this was the two thousands. So she, uh, she instilled in me, you know, this idea that you, you don't take, uh, these barriers that are set up to, to keep people like us out. Um, mm. uh, people who necess- aren't, aren't set up to be, you know, X, Y, and Z. We didn't go to Eton or whatever. Um, don't take these barriers 
as if they are so serious. And so I've sort of plotted my own course as you have, Stephen. I mean, you've done an amazing job. And I think the thing with you. with you is that, you know, the, the fact is that you have been utterly successful. I think it's totally ridiculous to say that you're not book smart. You know, you know, recruitment, you know, the back end, you know, the front end of architecture, like the back of your hand. And you know things about, you know, and I don't even know what a bin developer is or whatever, you know, you were talking about, <laughs> there are, you know, I was like, what the hell is that? I had to look it up. I was like Googling. It, you know? <laughs> so there are things that I don't know. And I'm, you know, and the more, you know, it's a cliche, but the more, you know, the more, you know, that you don't know. Yeah. I, and I think what I want to take away from this is because there's, there's two sides of the kind. And, and in terms of, you know, we've got more comfortable now and that's why it's nice to have this kind of talk. Whereas I would portray in terms of the discussion that you were having before as more academic, more theoretical. And I was like, oh, I don't know anything about that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't know. I'm just, I just, I just kind of do my own thing. And actually, that was um, a preconception I put upon myself. It was kind of like an excuse not to get involved. And actually, the point is through chatting and doing these kind of stuff. And so it's like book club, or I've been to a few things over the years. You wouldn't believe the kind of clubs in terms of. I remember like years ago when I had my own business, I was like, uh, and hey, I'm not a skinny, super skinny guy right now. Anything by that means because of coronavirus and all this stuff. But before I was in a very, very stressful period and I put on a lot of weight and I remember I went on to Weight Watchers and there was like me and several ladies because the, ten- the demographic that would go to the Weight Watchers was ladies because guys would be like, oh, I don't, you don't, we don't go to Weight Watchers. And I went there and um, from the back of it, I lost so much weight. I ended up losing like 30 kilograms. I think wow. I put 10, a 10 back on because of coronavirus. Boris, help me out. I need to, you know, just get this sorted. Can you just, can you just put the straw circuit in so we can get on with it and get back to our lives? Treadmills anyway. for everyone. <laughs> Treadmills for everyone. Absolutely. Point is, though, it was like that preconception of, oh, I'm not going to go to Weight Watchers because that's for, um, I think that's for like people like my auntie, you know, mm. and, uh, and they was, when I went there, they were really nice people. And the book club, what was really interesting is because I was partly there to host it, but actually I'm not reading the books per se. And I, but I uh, remember the first time I was there, I was in the background. I was like, look, I'm not going to get involved. I was going to set up the Zoom. And actually I really enjoyed it. I was like listening in. I was doing a little bit of some stuff, but we're talking menial tasks, which didn't really involve um, brain concentration. But just, you know, sometimes you got them things in the background and I actually stuck with it and I actually really enjoyed it. And that's the kind of thing that I get from it was actually, yes, you're a social critic, which sounds really kind of ostentatious, uh, you know, sounds really like, yeah, I'm a social critic, you know, but no, there's none of that. And actually what I like is you're from humble backgrounds. So you got into the AA from quote unquote that you've joked around that kind of like the back door and you know walking in with your pjs and all like challenging that preconception but actually um it's um yeah it's very interesting it's just very very interesting so i've actually found it really accessible the point is all of with all of this and i think what you enjoy in terms of the architectural social and there's a few other people that enjoy different things is that what i like for me is that there's conversation there and you've kind yes. of brought your own points. You bring things to share. And actually what I've learned and which has been good to see is that what I like is that you're sharing things you find interesting and you're open to a conversation where I think it's even more interesting though, is that 
if you, there was a conversation that came out of it, you're not expecting everyone to agree with you. Far from it. You're interested in conversation. And sometimes challenging the conversation is not the same as confrontational. What yes. we're talking about is dialect. Yes. And I think that's really important to talk about because it's not The first about- job of the social critic is to be open to criticism. Mm. And, you know, if we love our jobs as critics, then we have to love being criticized, you know, or at least accept it. Mm. Um, And one of the things that, you know, I will accept is when we have these discussions and we have these, you know, debates or agree to disagree. You know, we had the, the example of positive discrimination versus using affirmative action. And then I kind of explained why I used affirmative action. And we mm-hmm. kind of had this, you know, quasi-agreement about the differences and all of that. Um, whereas sometimes you get in some of these forums, uh, um, you know, I, I shall not mention which forums, but, you mm-hmm. know, let's just <clears throat> Reddit or, you know, uh, whatever. Um <laughs> where it just sort of degrades, you know, just sort of degrades and nobody's actually talking about the action. Nobody's talking about anything that is meaningful or has content. They're just making all these ad hominem attacks or using uh, rhetoric and language. You know, for me, I want to elevate the discourse. And I think Mm. that's what we can do in a space like architectural social. We can elevate the discourse. We can make it a space. And that doesn't mean lofty discourse. It doesn't mean, you know, we're going to discuss the governmentality of Michel Foucault's late work. No, it means talking about real issues with real people in real time, you know, not having the bots, not having the trolls Mm. and actually having a discussion about things. And even if we disagree, we can still be a big family, you know, an extended family. And I think that's what's important about this thing. And I'm totally open to it. I, you know, recently there was a person who disagreed with me um, about um, the way in which we need to diversify architecture and um, design and um, said, you know, we just, just need to work harder. And so what I did is I looked at, you know, the, the philosophy behind that, which goes back to the Enlightenment and meritocracy and uh, Rousseau's man as we find him in nature, just, you know, sort of. But there's a lot that uh, what I tried to show is that there's a lot of history behind that and that meritocracy is not necessarily, um, you know, something that can just be that even even the people who developed these systems and and the Enlightenment um, didn't necessarily all agree on it. You know, we we have to have balances, etc. And then the person's response was less than stellar. Um, And so I think. Had the person responded and said, you know, actually, I disagree with you because of X, Y, and Z, then I would, the conversation would have gone in a different direction. Yeah. And I think we need to make these places accessible for everyone. And that includes, and I just want to make a shout out to um, people that are in the equality and um, inclusion diverse uh, working group, which I think has got like four or five members. Please join it if you if you want to, um, because we need to be working with um, Black Indigenous people of color, 
Um, we need to be working with the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, intersex, queer, and asexual communities. We need to be working with neurodiverse communities. We need to be expanding so that we can bring in all of this talent. I mean, it's yeah. not necessarily like just to have diversity for diversity's sake. These people, a lot of these people, I mean, including myself, I mean, I'm a member of the LGBT community. I'm a member of, uh, all kinds of, you know, communities that are, you know, the working class community, etc. And I think that it's important to have as many voices at the table because we need um, we need those voices in order to make a, a world because architecture is about designing a world. And if we're not if all these voices are not at the table, then we're not designing a world for the world. I like that. And it's really ties into when I started the group section of the architecture social, I was quite keen on getting content created to set up their own little groups. And what I learned, Tony, quite quickly is that um, that doesn't make sense now because I develop a certain amount of content myself. You're just basically doing a copy of a copy of a copy. And so the book group, what I've learned is that the, the it's actually because it's smaller we haven't got the but it doesn't matter because it's real and i think the group section is a really good opportunity for people that have their own personal causes so that's probably what's good as well and what i like about what you're doing or what is inviting conversation you can get involved or not you don't don't feel the need to get involved it's more about it's up for conversation and and what and going back to what you're saying before and that's what i've learned is that unfortunately i think due to the nature of the internet and written text sometimes you can read into things tone and that's based upon everyone's own personal experience of what they feeling on that day or how they read it this person's attention span and predispositions to certain things and i think in that case a scenario when you were talking about a subject unfortunately sometimes people can take it the wrong way but remember you didn't see my face there's no face you know you, yeah. you didn't see the tone. you know you didn't hear my voice it's yeah. totally no exactly. tone, yeah, no tone, and I think that's what I've learned as well. And that's about what, what's interesting about these online things is that I think, of course, is so. I love forums, and like yourself, I've gone into the deep, dark, like voids of Reddit, and you can get a few joys there. You can also lose a lot of time. And what what, I, what I've learned is that is that on the social. I think that people who do do well really in life, whether it's literal or not, is people that get involved. And you can do as little or as much as you want. But what I would challenge people to do is sometimes to go out of your comfort zone. And so actually, I remember when you asked, and this is the point about vernacular architecture, I think I replied saying, I don't know what you mean. And that was fine. And it was conversation and you were quite polite yeah. and I was polite and that was okay. Whereas and then I just responded and... Yeah. Uh, Gave a definition and we and moved here, on. And here we are now, and there's book clubs and there's and there's all these things, and that's the point. It's not about it's not challenging egos here. It's not about that. It's about discourse. It's about um, talking about stuff, and you might change your perception. Or if you talk about certain things and you have a particular viewpoint, you know, if you bring up something, uh, Tony, and uh, someone has says, well. I find that really interesting, but actually I've had this experience based on A, B, C, D, and I think this, you're going to go like, oh, well, that's, that's, 
really interesting and that's yeah. the and that's the point it and then you might change your opinion and that's exactly. the, and that's the whole point in terms of what I change my opinion at least four or five times a day so. <laughs> yeah me too and and i think that's the thing and then it, the the real hard challenging bit is the i'm sure everyone feels at some point a bit vulnerable and you know it's like that ego and your opinion if someone challenges it then it, it can almost sometimes feel like a personal attack and that's really not what it is about it really really isn't it's never about that and i think that the more and more like we do this stuff in the community the more and more the book club the more and more people can understand these things the more and more that people can feel comfortable the better i just think the golden rule is and it's probably and we've learned it through the process and what i think here is that i'm all up for challenging discourse if we just draw the line of being offensive or anything like that and um you know, you have we have to be respectful of one another. The way, as long as there's mutual respect in terms of both parties talking, and then and we talked about it the other day. We agreed to disagree on something, and that's fine. That's what's about. Yes. It's not, you know, yes. it's what it's completely what's about. You know, but it's not when we're talking about an open forum and subjects. We're not looking for the same advice. Sometimes certain people might agree on something. Certain people might disagree. But that's the whole nature and. Uh, it, well, I mean, that is the core of democracy in, you know, you can't just promote diversity of X, Y, and Z. You have to promote diversity of thought as well. Obviously, within reasonable bounds, you know, there's there's there are boundaries in which, you know, we do not cross. But within a certain spectrum of thinking, we can have lots of disagreements and, you know, all kinds of things. You know, there are people that are completely outright racist. Okay, let's leave them alone. But <laughs> within the reasonable discourse or homophobes or whatever, within within a, you know, a conversation like the example, I think, with the positive discrimination versus affirmative action, what, what do we use? You know, that's a you know, that's perfectly fine. I mean, we're both in agreement on the basic tenets that we need to have more diversity in the workplace. Mm. It's just about the label. And so I didn't feel like, you know, oh my gosh, this is something that, you know, is a dramatic core issue that we must, you know, have yes. this huge debate about. We just sort of resolved to, you know, we use these different words, but it actually were kind of meaning the same thing. Absolutely. So, and what I quite love is I completely got your point. And then when I would talk about it in terms of diversity in the workplace, it's about, yes, everyone agrees the same, but what I was throwing the ratchet in terms of getting diversity in the workplace can be extremely difficult in terms of approach. And you know that more than I do because you do recruitment. You're on the front front line, really. Yeah, and so what it was, and that's what was really interesting about the discourse was seeing your reaction and everyone would get involved of, because what you understood is that everyone's on the quest to it, but where I was saying is that what I've learned is that it is extremely difficult or it can go weird and wild in different ways. And that's what I really think is beautiful about the conversation. And so what I'm thinking now, Tony, is because because we've had a nice hour of chat and what I'd like to do maybe uh, and throwing this idea out together is that I think you're a moderator on the architecture social. Of course, I love what you're doing. And this we'll, let, we'll, let's talk briefly uh, in terms of a summary about that, because you've written your book and where to find your book. Maybe what we can do is, as life goes on, like now, perhaps we can return to this conversation in a month and we can talk about where we are, whether I'm in a dark yes. hole or in a good place or, and we can, we can reflect and pick this up because at an hour, I think it's a nice little bite size to go for. But it is so 
you're happy with that. We'll pick it up. Maybe you are yeah. like a nice guest yeah. appearance. I, I really That's value cool. what you say. I really enjoyed this, Stephen, and I appreciate everything you've been doing in terms of setting this up. I mean, I think it's not easy to set up a new social network and you're you also have a day job and so it's incredibly commendable that you've set this up and the way in which you've set it up and this beautifully designed website and so i think it's very important that we expand and encompass as many people as possible make it as accessible as possible in terms of my book people can find it it's called prison as power being and state con uh, contra negativity and notion. Ooh. I believe it's on Amazon uh, UK. Yes, it is. It is on Amazon UK. Amazing. Yes. What I was going to talk to you briefly about as well is that I'm going to. Oh gosh, is that a preview for anyone listening? But uh, part of the external website, I think I can make it a way that people can host stuff that they selling so in terms of books uh, so i say selling but if it, if you you spent years in this beautiful book and it's there then what we'll do is we're going to work a way to find that if someone wants to buy your book they can do it quite six easily years on that book, yeah. yeah you've done six, six years. years you've done six years this book has not been whammed out on the on the toilet this has spent a lot of time on it right so um i'm going to do that on the artificial social but in the meantime you can find that on amazon in terms of where you're at you are on linkedin but you're we're also very engaged in the architecture social which is why i love the fact that you're a moderator and that and we can maybe we can talk about how that is in the month and and then we can talk about where you're at and what we're doing in a month and uh, i know you were talking to the press and a few other things and you you are you are making a book on your uh, at the moment you are writing yeah and yes i'm currently writing two books at the moment so i'm going to be um launching that hopefully I mean, with the situation right now, hopefully um, in this spring. So that's that is the 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 goal, and um, one of them will be centered around space and um, architecture, design, especially. So I I look forward to to sharing that with the group when it's. Uh, springtime early maybe i think the last time i released my book uh, around i finished it around my birthday which is february 26th so might it might we might have a birthday surprise i'm not sure Hey, I love it. That's amazing. Well, perhaps we can talk about a bit about that next time as well. So I've absolutely loved this. This has been absolutely fascinating. Um, really good. I've enjoyed this hour. This, this hour has gone quickly. Can you believe that? I'm looking at it now. It's been one hour and one hour, one hour, one hour and four minutes uh, on Friday. And 29 seconds. It's wonderful. <laughs> I think you so much. Stephen, you, you, I just want to say, you know, you, the work you're doing is is amazing, and I know you're oh, yeah. burnout right now oh, in, no. in your industry. And so, thank you for taking this time to to speak with me. And I'm going to do everything I can to continue to promote and elevate people on uh, architectural, social, and and elsewhere. Oh, I love it. I almost want to yank the cord from you there because I, I, I come from the hard school of Wales. I can't deal, I can't deal with compliments. You know, I almost, I feel like that kid on the playground where you give me a compliment and I don't know how to deal with it. So it's like I punch you in the face and go, I love you. You know what I mean? It's like that thing of thank you. But, um, okay. <laughs> no, I really, really appreciate it. But, uh, what I would like to reiterate is that that's awesome. And thank you so much. 
uh, what I'd like to say is that the Architecture Social is for everyone. So it's more for anyone listening to get involved. You make it what your own. I've set the stage up at the start, of course, but it's slowly becoming um, everyone else's, which is what I love. I love that. I was watching R.E.M. on uh, Netflix talk about their song, uh, Losing My Religion. And actually what they talked about is that when a song gets a big enough hit, it be it, be, it it ceases to be their song. It's the people's song. And I would love that on the, the Architecture Social becoming the people's platform, becoming the architect's platform. And we're slowly getting to that point. So keep going. Thank you so Thank much, you. Tony. I've really enjoyed this. And you too, have Stephen. a great evening. Mm-hmm.